Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Let's pray together as we stand. Heavenly Father, we do indeed pray that by your Spirit uh, you would be powerfully at work amongst us tonight as we hear you speak, that your Spirit would uh, open our hearts to that word, uh, open our hearts to be uh, those who uh, receive it with faith, Uh, receive it uh, completely trusting your goodness towards us. Uh, We pray this, Father, tonight for our own good and your glory. Amen. Amen. Please take a seat. And uh, it's worth uh, turning back to the passage that uh, Abby read for us uh, earlier, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 10 uh, to 13 together as we finish off this series that Paul has been uh, leading us through. uh, The Beatitudes we're going to be looking at at the last of them tonight, blessed are those who are persecuted. So Matthew chapter 5, page 968. These are the words of the King of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Blessed are those persecuted for righteousness. In fact, they can rejoice and be glad. Graham Staines was born in 1941 on the Sunshine Coast of Queensland. The Sunshine Coast are famous for the big pineapple, amongst other things, if you ever make it there. But uh, Graham Staines was uh, born there in 1941, raised in a Christian home, a man who knew no day without relationship with the Lord Jesus, uh, a Lord that he grew to love more and more as he uh, grew up and longed to serve. By the age of 24, he had made his first trip to India and soon joined a mission society there working in a remote tribal area of India amongst the lepers. And by 1993, he and his wife, uh, who he met on the mission fields of India, had established a leprosy home there where they worked for many, many years. It was this uh, work of uh, bringing the gospel and medical care to the lepers that became his life's work. He would not leave the mission field. He was greatly loved uh, by his patients and he led many of them to the Lord. It had been a great night, January 22nd, 1999. Graham had taken his two younger sons uh, and had attended an annual gathering of Christians from all around India. They got together once a year to encourage one another uh, for the work that they were about together. By the time uh, the camp finished that night, January 22nd, 1999, it was too late to make well, what is the long journey home. And so they decided to sleep in the car to, uh, to avoid the uh, severe cold outside. Uh, sometime late that night, Graham and his sons, uh, sleeping in their station wagon, were surrounded by a mob of some 50 Hindu activists. Uh, they uh, surrounded the car with axes and other weapons, uh, preventing uh, the stains from uh, leaving the car. And then they set it ablaze. Some of the villagers tried to rescue the Staines but were overwhelmed by this crowd. On what had been a a night of joyful fellowship, Graham and Philip and Tim uh, struggled with all their might to escape, but it wasn't to be. All all that was left the next day was uh, the hollow, burnt-out shell of their car and inside three burnt-out and beaten bodies. Blessed are you when you are persecuted, says the King of Heaven. It's a jolting word, isn't it? Even uh, offensive, perhaps. 
If you or I were to say uh, those words to a fellow Christian under attack, under persecution, they would seem incredibly naive words, wouldn't they? Blessed are you. Uh, But these are not the instructions of some pastoral novice, but the King of Heaven. Blessed are you when men persecute you. Rejoice and be glad. Uh, Tonight's aim is simple. Tonight's aim is to understand why our King, the King of Heaven, would say these words. This is where we're going to begin. We're going to begin by seeing what persecution involves. A persecution uh, is not an exclusively Christian experience. Uh, persecution occurs in all ranges of uh, ways amongst uh, people from other religions, uh, other races. You can be persecuted, for instance, for being an Australian in England, I- I've discovered. <laughs> but uh, the Lord isn't talking about that sort of petty persecution. Here the king of heaven is speaking of persecution directed at at citizens of his kingdom, at those who would claim him as their king, say, I follow King Jesus. It's a persecution that can take many forms, be it uh, mental or legal persecution or harassment or fear or isolation or separation or penalties of different forms, uh, imprisonment, shame, uh, calls to abandon your faith, torture, even death in the case of the stains. And persecution has been a permanent part of the experience of uh, those who follow the Lord Jesus from the very first disciples uh, right up to today. Uh, The experience of those uh, first disciples, many of whom uh, met their death at the hands of persecutors, has continued uh, right up into this century where there is uh, more people persecuted, more Christians persecuted than ever before. The estimates is uh, somewhere around 200 million Christians are facing significant and ongoing persecution uh, as we sit here tonight. There are many stories to tell. And I commend to you, if uh, you are not somebody who uh, is familiar with uh, the persecuted church around our world, to to become informed about the trials that your brothers and sisters are undergoing, even as we sit here tonight. Uh, Be informed by uh, organisations like the Barnabas Fund. uh, It has an excellent website. Uh, detailing uh, day after day the persecutions that are going on. Uh, The Voice of the Martyrs is another one. See the stories that uh, appear there day after day, real stories, Uh, not stories of long ago, not Fox's Book of Martyrs type stories, but stories of 2011. Stories of people that we need to be bringing before the Lord in prayer. If you turn to the Barnabas uh, Fund website uh, this week, you would have uh, read of Jamil Sawan, a, a preacher and evangelist gunned down in uh, Karachi on November the 16th by a radical Muslim group. It didn't stand a chance. Or you'd read of uh, the Somalian uh, teenager who was beheaded. As he prepared uh, for school, he was uh, attacked by a group called Al-Shabaab, uh, a word literally meaning the lads, the boys. Well, this group of lads are determined to rid Somalia of Christianity, carefully monitored uh, uh, this teenager and his family. Since they'd arrived, they'd fled Kenya from persecution. And knowing them to be Christians and knowing that they had secret Bible meetings in their house, they waited until uh, his parents had left the house around 6am. And then they attacked him. The neighbours uh, heard screaming coming from the house and then it stopped. And when his parents heard about their son's murder, they rushed home, they buried their only son, and then they fled the area, fearing that the militants would kill them as well. Blessed are you when men persecute you. Rejoice and be glad. 200 million Christians under persecution tonight as we sit here together. 
And yet somehow uh, we here tonight, uh, we in Fullwood, are, are largely unscathed. And we enjoy comfort as Christians and as a church. Security, freedom, real freedom. Our great fear tonight as we meet together is that the preacher will go on too long. Uh, we live, uh, I believe, in many ways in uh, Disneyland church. Do you feel that? No fear of being watched as we gather here tonight. Uh, we'll uh, later this week uh, go about the village of Fullwood singing carols and we'll be more than likely warmly met. We'll engage uh, with friends in uh, robust debate about our faith. Uh, and just this week, uh, the state-run school down the road uh, brought the children up here to meet a vicar. We have thriving CUs on our university campuses, our workplace prayer groups. Uh, we are largely unscathed. And yet there are instances, aren't there, of uh, persecution of the church in the UK. Uh, many words of uh, insult, uh, marginalisation, false testimony, especially for those who have come from other countries, other religions, other cultures. But even for the rest of us, uh, there are insults and isolations perhaps for students and workers. Uh, there, uh, there is the whole experience of being a, a Christian in a largely uh, unbelieving family, a tough place to be especially at Christmas. There's uh, the, the growing uh, trend in education policies pushing uh, the, the Christian message further and further out to the periphery. Uh, changes in, uh, in laws by the government. And even Christian businesses suffer. So there are instances. And perhaps uh, you uh, here tonight have experienced some of them. Still, I suspect for the most part, we do enjoy freedom from persecution as Christian people. But as we enjoy that freedom, I think there are challenges here for us. Uh, first is this, uh, to realise that we are free of such things for now and to make the most of it. Uh, to see the freedom, uh, to see the, the lack of fear, the, the lack of danger that is around us and to make every effort uh, to speed on the progress of the gospel in this land. But also to be very cautious I reckon when you do read things uh, like the Barnabas Fund and uh, what is on uh, the Voice of the Martyrs, these other sites, to be very careful to not wear our minor inconveniences for being a Christian in the UK as some badge of honour. Very careful to pray, uh, uh, as we do often, I do often, for, for boldness in inviting someone to a carol service. It doesn't really compare, does it? And second, there's this challenge. Realise that our relative freedom from persecution will not be a permanent state. It may not be long before a Christian minister is jailed in this country for what he preaches in the pulpit. Or long before uh, many, many Christians lose their jobs for their faith. That is the most likely path our country is on. For as Jesus says, if they hated me, they will hate you. Now, but here's the biggest challenge. You see it there in verse 10. Blessed, that's what Jesus says about the persecuted. Blessed, uh, happy, uh, in a great place, a good place, are those who are persecuted. Do you believe that? That God might bless us uh, with persecution? And does that make any sense to us? That our ideal state as Christians may not be comfort and ease and security and freedom, but persecution. Do you believe that? Well, here's a test. Uh, it's just one test that we could apply to ourselves, but uh, here is a test that came to me this week as a, as a father of four children. Uh, here's a test for the parents here. 
What is the ideal path you would trace for your children as they grow up? The ideal path that you'd see for their life as they, go, as they grow in age? Perhaps as they're getting to the end of school, it might be good results that would get them into the course that they'd like to do. Now, that's a good path. A good job, a satisfying job, an enjoyable job, by using the gifts that God has given them. Perhaps the blessing of family. And in our better moments, we may well pray for them that they remain followers of the Lord Jesus all the way through their life, that they live a godly life. That's a great prayer. A godly life. Good prayer. But 2 Timothy 3 tells us this, anyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. Let me ask you, uh, is, uh, is that uh, something, uh, as your children grew up, uh, as they uh, grow uh, into the next generation of, of Christians, uh, that you would see as a blessed state for them to be under increasing persecution? If it is that in this next generation that we and our children are under increasing uh, pressure and persecution and danger, Matthew 5 says this to us, blessed are you. And here's the reason. This passage tells us what our persecution means, why it is such a blessing to us. You see, I reckon for most of us, uh, if we've ever experienced any sort of level of uh, persecution or insult as for being a Christian, uh, when that comes to us, the obvious question we're asking is, why is this happening? And why is this happening to me? I'm normal. Why me? Now, but you're not normal. A Christian, there is something about you that brings persecution. And I'm not talking here, I, I'm talking here, sorry, of a genuine persecution for following the Lord Jesus. I'm not talking about the sort of persecution that might come to us because we are annoying or aggressive or inappropriate in our evangelism at school or in our family, wherever it might be. That's not being persecuted. That's, uh, well, that's being a goose. But genuine persecution, when it comes... Uh, for being a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and if we follow him, it will come. It comes according to our passage for two reasons. Do you see them there in verses 10 and then verse 11? Verse 10, it comes because of righteousness. Verse 11, it comes because of me, says Jesus. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Righteousness, all the way through this uh, Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus is teaching his disciples, is the... uh, the, the demand, the call on citizens of heaven, to be a citizen of heaven is to live a righteous life. All the way through these chapters 5, 6 and 7, we see the, the shape of that sort of life. In fact, Jesus says, uh, if you look in Matthew 5 verse 20, that unless our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, we will not enter his kingdom. Now, persecution comes to those who exceed in righteousness. And such a life is going to be radically different, radically challenging, even radically offensive to the, the shape of life in the kingdom of this world. That's what Matthew 5 shows us. Uh, all sorts of areas that this, that sort of life will challenge our culture, from anger to adultery, from sex to speech, you name it. It will cause us to stand out. Live this way, uh, King Jesus tells us, and uh, we will be persecuted because we will be the salt of the earth. Assault all the way through the scriptures is a, uh, is a metaphor, a symbol for judging. Uh, we live this way and it automatically judges our culture and the idols of the world around us. Live this way and you will be the light of the world, exposing the darkness of culture around us. 
A culture that John 1, 1 tells us hates the light. To live this way, we're told in Matthew 5, is to be a city on a hill. It sounds a, a great ambition, doesn't it, to be a city on a hill as a church until you think how exposed a target a city on a hill is. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. As we see this, I reckon it's important to see as well that Jesus is not saying that you will be persecuted because, uh, hey, you're such a better person than everyone else. Uh, sort of a tall poppy syndrome that they'll see uh, what a good life that you're living and uh, they'll hate you for it. Well, we're not righteous in ourselves, are we? That's what's so helpful about verse 11. The other reason we're told the persecution comes, it's not here because of righteousness, it's because of me. Uh, those two things are together. True righteousness, that which exceeds uh, the Pharisees, is only found in relationship with Jesus. Jesus is why you and I are righteous, not on our own, not because of our deeds. I don't have a righteousness that exceeds uh, the Pharisees. I don't have a righteousness that exceeds anyone. Uh, scriptures tell me no one is righteous, not even one. Now, Christians are not some sort of super moral race and that's why they're persecuted. Although sometimes we may kid ourselves that we are and uh, often that's those who persecute Christians may think that of us. But Christians are those who in Christ have found a righteousness not of themselves but in him. And even our being righteous, even that claim of being righteous in Christ is not our achievement either. It's all of God. Now this is how 1 Corinthians 1.30 puts it. It says, It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for you your wisdom and righteousness. So here's the question. If that's why persecution comes, if persecution comes because uh, I am in relationship with Jesus, who, who would want to persecute someone like that? Who would want to persecute someone who says, Jesus is my king? Well, the Bible's answer is simple. And you see it there in Matthew 6.24. It is someone who has a different king, a different master, a different allegiance. Jesus, uh, in Matthew 6.24, is speaking of those who, uh, who love money. That is their God. That is their king. And he says this, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. To have a different master, be it uh, money or Allah or sex or even ourselves, is to have made a choice. We cannot serve two masters. And so we love one and hate the other. And so what we're being shown here is is. In verse 11, it is the likeness of Jesus in us that leads to persecution. Uh, the more they see Jesus whom we follow in the way we live, the more we will be hated. As he changes us, as he promises to do, uh, into conforming us into his own likeness, that's his promise. Uh, the more we are changed to be like him, the more alien we will appear uh, to those with a different master. And the more we will be persecuted. But here, King Jesus, as persecution comes, uh, you are blessed. It's not a regrettable turn of events. Uh, it's not a time uh, when persecution comes to wallow in self-pity. Everyone is against me. Nor is it to intimidate us. Intimidate us as we feel the, the sort of gravitational pull back to the comfortable Christian life. It's almost irresistible, that, isn't it? 
back to the place where our discipleship is safe, where there's no danger, there's no misunderstanding, there's no difficult relationships. Now hear the word of your king. You who are persecuted because of me, you are blessed. You are right where you need to be. Uh, to respond, we're shown here in this uh, chapter in two ways. Blessed are the persecuted because they, can, they and they alone can respond in two ways that no one else can. Uh, here's the first of them. You see it there in Matthew 5, verse 43. Blessed are the persecuted because you can love like no one else can. Uh, you can love those who persecute you. You want to see how radical Christianity is? Uh, not armchair Christianity, but uh, Calvary Road Christianity. And Matthew 5, 43. You've heard it that it was said, uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you this, uh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Matthew 5.43 seems a plausible equ- equation, doesn't it? Uh, really, the equation of our world. Uh, love your, love your neighbour, and well, I guess that means I can hate my enemy. I have to love my neighbour, but it didn't say anything about my enemy. Uh, but Jesus calls us to a different thing altogether. He says, no, uh, love your neighbour and love your enemy. And in saying this, he's not giving us two commands. What he's showing us is this. Uh, you are to love your neighbour, even if your neighbour is your enemy. Even if your neighbour is your persecutor, that call to love your neighbour is for him as well. Blessed are you uh, who are persecuted because you are in the place to show how high and wide and deep and long is the love of the King of Heaven. And chapter 5 fleshes the, the nature of that love out for us. Those who are persecuted are in just the right place to respond uh, with practical love to their enemies. You see it there in Matthew 5, 40? I tell you, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Uh, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Uh, Gladys uh, Staines, uh, the widow of uh, Graham Staines, stayed in India for a further six years after his brutal murder, six years continuing the very work they were about together. Day after day, she got up amongst the tribes, people, some of whom had killed her husband and her children, and worked amongst them. Uh, continuing this work, she was a great blessing, a practical blessing to the tribes, people of India. It was love like her heavenly father that led her to do that. It was God's spirit that had led her to show this love even to her enemy. So the persecuted is blessed for they can love like that. Uh, Secondly, they are blessed because they can love with a a reconciling love. They can love with forgiveness. You see there in uh, Matthew 5 verse 47. If you greet only your brothers, uh, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. How radical is this? And we are to greet, that is to be in right relationship with, with and love those, even those who persecute us. That makes no sense in our world, that sort of call. We are wired up to return evil, to return wrong with evil. But to respond with forgiveness takes sacrifice, doesn't it? Enormous sacrifice. It is the decision to wear the cost of the wrong in ourselves, such that we can befriend even those who have wronged us. 
But that is the love of our Heavenly Father, his perfect love. The love that Romans 5, 8 speaks of when it says God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still enemies, while we were his persecutors, Christ died for us. Now this is the call on the persecuted, to love with a forgiving love. Again, hear this uh, from Graham Stain's widow. This is what she said in the trial, uh, in the days leading up to the trial of the man who was eventually charged with her husband and son's murder. Because of forgiveness, she says, I hold no bitterness towards the persons who have killed my family. In forgiveness, there is no bitterness. And when there is no bitterness, there is hope. That sort of hope, that sort of consolation, that sort of forgiveness only comes through Jesus Christ, she said. Amazing thing is she has recently, after some time in Australia, gone back to India to resume that work and reports say that the Lord is still using her mightily to spread the news of this gospel of forgiveness. Blessed are you who are persecuted. And finally, the persecuted are blessed because they can love with an interceding love. Do you see it there in Matthew 5.44? Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for justice, yes. I I bet uh, Graham Stane's wife did that. Calling on God, uh, the God of heaven and earth, the judge of heaven and earth, to remember what happened that night, to not forget. Calling on him, the only one with the power to judge and the knowledge to judge and the right to judge. You do right here. But also calling on him to forgive them. Forgive them for they know not what they do. We are to take those who inflict persecution on us to the cross. Taking them to the only place that can heal the evil that they have done. Crying out for them to receive the mercy, the very mercy that we ourselves have received. When uh, in a few moments we come together to take uh, communion, we are coming to a table for sinners, coming to a table for those who have done great evil in the eyes of our Lord, Uh, people like us, Uh, people like those who did this horrific evil to the Staines family. Uh, This is a table for sinners. And so blessed are you who are persecuted, for you have the privilege of praying for the forgiveness of those who have done this. But secondly, and finally, there is this blessing. Do you see it there in verse 12? Blessed are you, in fact, you can rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. This is how blessed you are when you are insulted and persecuted and have all kinds of evil falsely said against you. Jesus says this to you, no pastoral novice, Jesus, the king of heaven and earth, says it is a cause for you to shout for joy. Do you believe that? Maybe we can see the opportunity to love. Maybe we can see the opportunity to pray for them, but to be glad and rejoice. Well, verse 12 says, that joy in that moment comes from this thought, the anticipation of the reward of heaven. It is, uh, of course, the reward we have sung of tonight. Did you hear it in our second song? Uh, We sing of this reward again and again when we gather together. I will glory in my Redeemer. That's our hope who waits for me at gates of gold, and when he calls me, it will be paradise, his face forever to behold. Do you believe that? It's the reward that the Apostle Stephen saw in Acts seven fifty six, when he saw the, the, the gates of heaven open and he saw his Saviour there, his face glowing in anticipation of it. The same reward was for the Apostle Paul, who had stood there the day that Stephen was stoned to death. When he knew the threats of his likely death under the Roman Empire, he says in Philippians 1, 
to live as Christ, to die as gain. Do your worst, Rome. All you will do by killing me is place me before my greatest treasure. The same reward the prophets who have gone before us knew. The prophets, Hebrews 11 says, that the world wasn't worthy of them. Prophets that line the path of this life that we will, that we will lead, cheering us on, telling us great is the reward in heaven. It's a reward, but not one we deserve. And yet God in his goodness is pleased to bless us by honouring any suffering we experience for him, honouring it with overflowing reward, honouring it with the commendation of heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. God sees all that we will suffer for him. He sees uh, all that we will suffer from the, the small things like the frosty response of family at Christmas all the way to the terror and the pain of what our brother Graham Stain suffered that night. He sees all of that. And he will shower it with reward only heaven can bestow. Here's where we see why being persecuted is so blessed. Here's where the strength to love those who persecute us comes from. Being those who are utterly satisfied with that reward. And I suspect that's the challenge for us tonight as we come to a close. Because I think uh, while we enjoy a relative comfort and security, relative uh, freedom from persecution, our great fear is that if persecution came, it would take from us things that we love, things that we treasure, whether it be homes or whether it be church buildings, whether it be even those we love. We're so scared of losing those things, uh, so scared of it because our reward is not in heaven. Our reward is these things. What if they were taken away? But as we first face persecution, what we need in the moment, the, the fear or even the reality of persecution coming upon us is to be satisfied totally in our heavenly reward. So what's the secret? How do you do it? How did Gladys Staines not only forgive those who did these things to her husband and children, but to carry on that work? How can a person have that sort of strength, that joy, even in the face of cruel and evil persecution? What goes on in a person like that's heart? A heart that seems, I suspect, so far from our grumbling heart. It's amazing how many stories of the martyrs speak of the joy amidst persecution. You hear of the story of uh, Bishop Ridley as he walked up to the, the post that they were going to tie him to as they burned him to death and kissed it. Matthew 5 is preparing our hearts for what may await us as we move out of Disneyland Christianity uh, to what may come. Jesus wills for us to desire heaven more than anything, to desire it more than earth, uh, more than homes, more than family, more than security, more than reputation, more than any of these things, so that even through persecution we will rejoice and be glad, not without tears or pain or suffering or heartache, but as the Apostle Paul says, sorrowing and yet always rejoicing. Or as Jesus himself experienced, sweating uh, blood in Gethsemane in anticipation of the hateful violence that would be done against him the next day, fixed his eyes on the joy set before him. Now let me ask you tonight as we finish, is the joy of heaven set before you so great, so satisfying that they could take absolutely anything else from you and you still would be filled full? That's what Jesus wills for us. That is the blessing of persecution. He wills for our hopes to be in heaven. Because if our heart is in the world, if in comfort and ease, in anonymous Christianity, if our joy is not for heaven but family or job or freedom or holidays or esteem among men, 
And where will our joy come when all of that is stripped away? As it may well be. When our heart is ripped in two as persecution takes from us those we love. How else will we know the blessing and the joy and the strength to respond with love without having already placed all our hope, all our expectations, all our trust in this reward of heaven, the reward of seeing him face to face, face to face with the one who endured the cross for us, a joy that none, not even the most malignant evil, can take from us. And so I leave you with these words from the King of Heaven, Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Let's pray together. Father God, as we uh, hear this word in Matthew 5 of uh, the blessing of persecution, uh, persecution for righteousness' sake, persecution because of you, uh, so easy to speak of in theory, so easy to uh, make uh, bold claims in our hearts of how we would be in the face of persecution. Father, we do pray that you would prepare our hearts. Help us to see the blessing of a loving as our Heavenly Father loves uh, those committed to his demise. Help us to see the, the blessing, the great reward of heaven, such that uh, that is enough for us. And so, Father, we do pray that you would change us, uh, change us uh, for what may await. Amen.